I'm Chad Main, the founder of Legal Services Company Percipient, and this is Technically Legal, a podcast about legal innovation, legal technology, and the impact tech is having on the law. In today's episode, I have a conversation with Crystal Kovac, who's the head of legal and compliance at Encore. We talk about what it takes to build a legal department from the ground up. Today's episode is a conversation with Crystal Kovac. She's the head of legal compliance at Encore. Encore is an Australian-based company that provides corporate and contractor payroll management services. Like many of us, when Crystal decided to become a lawyer, she didn't have a complete understanding of all that entails. Also, like many of us, she didn't like her first legal job that much. And when it ended, she took off to Canada and worked as a ski instructor for a few years. And also while she was in Canada, she got another law firm job, and she actually liked that one. But when her visa ran out, she decided to head back home to Queensland in Australia. When she got back home, she did a stint as a temporary attorney working for a tech company to help them clean up and organize their contracting process. Ultimately, she ended up at Encore for what was supposed to be a temporary gig, also helping them clean up their contract process. But it turns out that Crystal did such a good job, they asked her to be general counsel and build out their legal and compliance functions. What we will hear from Crystal is that if you want to build a legal department from the ground up, you first need to map out operational processes that touch legal. You need to actually go out and talk to people in the company that are involved in these processes to not only learn more about them, but to actually build relationships. Crystal was also a big proponent of meeting clients where they are and communicating with them via methods they already use. Crystal also recommends if you're going to add tech to the legal department, you got to make sure that the tech is accessible to the users. So without further ado, let's pick up my conversation with Crystal Kovac. I went into law school with the full intention of having this perfect private practice career and then quickly realized once I got into private practice that I was kind of miserable. So I pushed through it for a little while trying to find my place. I was in um, commercial general private practice. What about it was miserable? Just the billing hours or the work? I think it was a mixture of both. And at the time, I didn't really understand. I, I don't think I'd put enough thought into what a career looked like post-university. I was fairly young at the time too, never really had any kind of work experience outside of the part-time job. So I, I landed in private practice and just it wasn't what I had expected. I guess it was a mixture of the type of work, the billable hours. I now know retrospectively that I really love working in-house, so I'm sure it's got something to do with the environment that private practice is within. But eventually I just quit. <laughs> I packed up a backpack and I bought a one-way ticket overseas and I went traveling and it was probably the best thing I could have done for my career in hindsight. And you lived in Canada for a while and were a ski instructor, correct? I did. So I went traveling. I ended up working as a ski instructor. I actually took some um, contract roles doing bits and pieces. I worked in an investment bank where I learned about data analysis and then landed in Canada and eventually ended up working in a law firm in Canada after I was working as a ski instructor. And that was the first time, I guess, in my legal career that I thought, hold on a second, maybe I can make a career out of being a lawyer. Maybe it was just the type of practice that I'd been in previously that I didn't quite enjoy. You mentioned before your first gig there, your first legal gig in Australia, uh, right out of law school. It wasn't what you expected. What were you expecting and how did it differ? I don't think I know, Chad, to be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was in commercial law. I should have enjoyed it. It could have also been age. I mean, I was 21 at the time. I hadn't been out and seen the world and got corporate experience and, you know, been 
allowed to grow up. So I think, you know, providing commercial advice when you're 21 years old and really have no clue is also a difficult scenario to be in. It's stressful, I'm sure. You know, you don't have really, (laughs) you're very young, you don't have any real world experience yet. So I'm sure it's stressful you're going to make the wrong call. Exactly. And also, I, I do think maybe it was partly because I was in a practice that was doing a whole range of different things and there was no continuity, which would be great in my stage of career now. But at the time, it was a bit overwhelming of not having a structured practice and processes to learn and follow, which is what I very much discovered when I went and worked in the practice in Canada. They were doing um, insurance defence litigation it was very much a process. I very much learned fundamentals of how to run that litigation piece end to end. And I was also surrounded by lawyers who had the time to teach me and support me. Right. And it was just a different environment, a different stage of life. And I guess the timing worked out for me at that point. And so what drew you back to Australia? So the visa expired and it was a decision whether or not to get permanent residency or not. So made the decision, did miss the summer, did miss the beaches. I'm from Queensland in Australia, which is notably sunny for most of the year. So it was just time. So I came back to Australia and it was, um, I guess, a career decision of whether or not I went back into private practice. Um, I was faced with two options at the time. So private practice or this opportunity at one of Australia's telcos, Optus. And it was a pseudo legal role. It was working across multiple functions. And basically we were looking at enterprise master service agreements and how they put into play post signing. And what we found is that the significant revenue was being lost because Optus was drafting these agreements, but operationally they weren't being enforced. So the the whole role was looking at the end to end life cycle of the contract what are we doing? Where are we going wrong operationally? Why can't we enforce these clauses that the legal team has spent hours upon hours negotiating and drafting only to sit in the drawer for the next five years? And how long were you there? About 18 months. Very fast paced, new team, great experience. Did you jump from Optus then to Encore? Yes. So my next role was stepping into Encore. I saw that Encore, you were not a permanent employee or a temporary employee, a contract worker that kind of morphed into the real (laughs) deal. You ultimately become, you know, the GC and head of compliance, right? Exactly. So I went in there, contract role, was only expecting that to be there a month or two, come in, help them fix up their contracts department, their contract processes. And then I got in there and suddenly there was an opportunity to stay and set up a fully fledged legal and compliance department. And and the rest has kind of been history. I've been there for three and a half years now. And so Encore, it's a, um, among other things, it's, it helps you automate your payroll and keep track of contractors and things like that, right? That's right. Okay, so you have a contract role to clean up contracts. <laughs> <laughs> was there a GC at the time or was there even a legal department at, at the company? No, nothing. So they had one person doing contracts, trying to support the sales team. There'd been some legal work done in the past, but there was... No, no function, no person in the role at present. And essentially, I don't even think they were thinking that at the time when I came in. It was only once I came in, started looking at these contracts, met the director, met, met some of the senior executive team, and they went, well, there's an opportunity here. Do, do you want to stay? And I basically grabbed the opportunity and ran with it. Were you elevated to a GC role at that point? Is that what they did? Yes, And was your mandate at the time to build up the legal ops program and build up the legal department? 
Yeah, the mandate was essentially come in, build up the legal department and help us build out a robust compliance function. Because about, I think, three to six months prior to me joining Encore, one of the directors had really put in a focus on compliance and he knew that he wanted to build out a compliance function but didn't have, I guess, the the resources within, within the business at the time. So when I joined and he saw that I had not only a legal background but some of this compliance work that I picked up while I was at Optus, he saw the opportunity and offered whether I wanted to come in and help him build out that function. So how big is your legal team now? So I've got two other people in my team, one lawyer and um, one law student, soon to be law graduate. So, And how long had you been there in the GC role when you hired somebody else? I'd only been there about two or three months when I hired in the law student into my team. And then shortly after that, I was given approval for a further resource to try and accelerate what we were doing with the team. You talked about how you report directly to the CEO And you're also responsible for some non-legal stuff. What type of work are you referring to there and what you're responsible for that wouldn't traditionally be considered legal work? Yeah, so I've been fairly lucky. The CEO that I report into has been great in terms of allowing me to get involved with work that isn't traditionally the GC's role. Um, So that includes anything from I assisted him with the strategic redevelopment for the company for the next five years. We also work together on looking at the product and redeveloping our products so that they're more compliance focused. And more recently, we've been sitting down looking at our workplace health and safety programs and putting together a high level overview of what we want that to look like going forwards. But he's basically allowed me to get involved with whatever I want to experience at Encore, which has been a huge experience for me. It's a real opportunity, right? Because one of the complaints people often lodge against uh, in-house legal teams that they're the department of no, or they don't completely always understand the business or they're, they detract from the business or slow the business down. But you, you're doing the opposite. Your CEO is sounds like buying into this and is involving you from the get-go so you can make legal a very important part that promotes the business and advances the business. Yeah, that's correct. He has been, I guess, the number one supporter of the legal department and really helping us embed the department, not just a, a department of no, but a functioning team that is, I guess, integrated into the ecosystem of Encore and we're all, you know, striving towards the same goal. That's really, I guess, the mission of our legal team, right, is how can we assist every other team within the company to achieve the same same goal, that same end point, which right. is to serve our customers in the best way that we can. Right. Now, I read an article you did for the uh, ACC docket. You were talking about how to build a legal team and how to build a legal function within within a company. And you said one of the first things you wrote, one of the first things you need to do is map the processes that legal has to do. And you hear that a lot. You know, I've heard it from many guests on this podcast and from people that were at software companies for automation, like and, and, and now you at in-house. Is that what you did? Is that the first thing you did when you took over the legal role at Encore? Did you start mapping things out? Yes. And I wish that I could say that it was an intentional step but it was more just an organic step that I took because I was kind of like, I need to understand what this company does and the services are quite complex and I don't actually understand them at this point. So I don't, I can't draft any contracts or advise anyone on on anything if I don't understand. So it was more of an organic process that I just sat down and started speaking to everyone within the company to work out what was going on. And and that's the other thing you say in the article too is, uh, as you're building this legal function, talk to people, 
talk to the business people and figure out what they're doing so you understand how legal fits in. I, so I assume that was the kind of second step you did there, or maybe they were concurrent steps. They were definitely concurrent. Encore was not a huge company in terms of people numbers. So it was also, I guess, somewhat organic just to start speaking to people. That's kind of in my nature. But it very much helped build out that function because the more I started speaking to people, the better understanding I got of the services, the roadblocks, the issues, and the issues that those teams were also facing and where legal could potentially help them. And what was your game plan when you started out? Like, What were the things that you prioritized, you wanted to build out first, the processes you want to have in place? What was your agenda? My agenda was definitely to help the sales team with the contracts first. We had quite an old school process of using wet signatures and sending documents back and forth via post, you know, a very arduous task for them. So that was number one. Just let's fix that because it's going to help our sales team. It's going to accelerate our sales. And it's also going to give our customer a better customer experience. So that was number one. Um, and we just started building out from there. When we come back, Crystal talks about the tech stack used by the Encore Legal Department and why it's important to build relationships with people throughout an organization for legal to be most effective. I'm Chad Main, and you're listening to Technically Legal. We need to do more with less. That is the key takeaway nowadays from almost every survey of in-house counsel. But what if it didn't have to be that way? What if you actually could do more for less? By combining legal expertise and technology, Percipient enables legal teams to get more work done for less. Buried in contracts and sales is frustrated with turnaround time? We can help with that. Did you just get hit with a subpoena and reviewing 100,000 documents and files will tax your resources or cost you a small fortune in billable hours? We can help there too. Our team of legal professionals leverage tech and project management principles with the right amount of human oversight to deliver precise, efficient, and cost-effective legal solutions. Whether it's legal operations and contract management support, subpoena compliance, or document review, Percipient is your partner in really doing more for less. Percipient. Legal services powered by technology. We'll get back to my conversation with Crystal Kovac in just a second. But before we do, I wanted to let you know that if you want to subscribe to Technically Legal, you can find us pretty much wherever you get podcasts. If you want to get a hold of me, you can email me at cmain at percipient.co. That's C-M-A-I-N at percipient.co. Or you can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Crystal Kovac. And you've already alluded to the fact you have a small team. You also kind of mentioned there that people are using wet signatures prior to you coming in. So I'm assuming, you, well, I, I know you use e-signatures now. So you utilize text because you are a small team and I know you're starting to automate some processes. What is your tech stack? What are all the different things that legal uses in conjunction with the business to, to get the legal work done? So we started by using DocuSign and Monday. Monday's like a workflow management kind of platform. And now for the past, I guess, about 12 months, we've been using Ironclad as well. So Ironclad is a lifecycle management platform, but we've also hacked it a little bit to use it in other ways beyond just a contract. Was the business using Monday before or was this something you brought in specifically to track legal projects? No. So we brought Monday in um, to help track the legal projects and also to help with our compliance program. So we built out our risk register on Monday as well. And in that article or somewhere I read too, you 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 pointed out something that I, I wish more people would, would point out that 
if you're going to start automating processes, if you're going to tr- start making legal more frictionless for the business folks, work with in the tools that they are using already. Was that part of the of ingratiating legal to, to the business and, and your, your game plan? So when we looked at Monday, it wasn't just legal once Monday. It was an executive decision of we can use this across the board for various different things, um, various departments tracking. So marketing was using it to build out their annual plan. People and culture were using it to track what they were doing. So it was very much a decision of, okay, we need something. What's going to work? Does this work for the majority of people? Yes. And we started at that point. We were also already using Slack. So we used some of the automations in Slack to build out a risk reporting channel so that the team or anyone in the business could just jump into Slack, hit the integration or the automation launch button and report any risks or issues that they were coming across. Big fan of Slack. Yes, Slack is great. So underutilized in so many ways if you really start to dig into the apps and the integrations that they have there. And a lot of them are free too. Right. No, we, it, we've we used it since I launched the company. And when the pandemic happened, we, we had no issues going remote because we'd always been Slack-based regardless of where people were, if they were in the office or not. And, you know, to your point about all the automations that are underutilized, you know, a couple of, well, I think about a year ago now, we had two of the attorneys, in-house attorneys from Slack, explain how they used, you know, some of the bots and some of the workflows that they used to get all the their legal work done there internally. So highly recommend the, the uh, collaboration tools. But But to this point... You have a great quote here. You, you say when you're building this your, your legal function out, one of the things that lawyers, in-house lawyers should ask themselves and others is, how do different levels of the company want to communicate with the lawyers? What did you learn there? Every team wants to communicate in a different way based on, I guess, their personality types, the workload, what they need to be delivering for their own teams, all of that. So to give you an example, our sales team primarily loves to chat on the phone. There's nothing that annoys them more than probably an email message back and forth. They just want someone to pick up the phone and say, this is what we need to do, or this is what I need from you. Whereas our operational teams prefer email or Slack messages because they're constantly servicing clients. They can't be on the phone um, taking legal call or, or waiting for us to call. They just want an email. They want the information, dot points, you know, to the point, what do they need to do? And then they're on their way. And I know another thing you're a proponent of, and you call them legal 101 sessions, is kind of advertising legal to the business folks and explain what you guys do and how you can help. What'd you do there? Like what were some of the things you did to conduct these legal one-on-one sessions? Yeah. So it really started with sales because what I found when I came in was that sales was under supported. They didn't understand what needed to be done from a legal perspective, but then they were also getting pulled up because certain things weren't being done. So that's a really frustrating position to be in. Um, So what we did, set up a legal one-on-one, and we started with just explaining the general contract terms in our standard terms and actually going into depth of like, what does this mean and why is it important to us and what does it mean for the client? So giving them that basis of knowledge so that when they are out negotiating, they can speak to the various clauses in our contracts and get the client um, across or, or, or maybe not. But at least that way, the sale isn't being, I guess, it's not going through the entire process and then falling over at the last minute because one of our standard 
clauses that is a non-negotiable, that they weren't aware of that. So that was the starting point. Let's give the sales team the knowledge to empower them to actually understand the contracts um, and be able to explain that. How did you conduct these sessions? Were they in person? Were they webinars? The first one was actually an in-person session. I'd only been at the company maybe a month and they had a big sales conference. So I flew down and they were all there together and we went through the contracts and the the, um, fundamentals of the product in person, which was great because then I feel in person is always better if you've got the choice. But then following on from that for the past three and a half years, we've done them either via webinar through COVID or if we have been lucky enough in person, we'll we'll go um, through those details together. And how does the knowledge base fit within all this too? Because I, I assume, you know, they can go to the knowledge base later and maybe they didn't understand something from the get-go or they had a question, you can direct them there. How does that play a role? Yeah, so I did a fairly basic overview. Um, I basically took our contracts. I broke down each clause. I put the explanations. I put the you know general language. This is the impact. This is why it's important. Just dumped it into a Google Doc, to be honest. Um, they can all access it. Uh, and the end goal or the plan for us is actually to embed that into Ironclad. So in Ironclad, as you walk through, you answer questions um, and you can also put in little playbook comments in respect of the various clauses. We haven't got to that end stage yet, but that is, I guess, the end goal that I want to take those playbooks and put it into the platform so that we're not uh, referencing various documents. It's just all in one place. And that's another point too is, as you're trying to automate stuff or build in processes or kind of integrate legal with, with the company itself, you don't need to go out and buy a shiny new toy. Right? You, you just mentioned Google Docs. There are many things within productivity suites that legal teams can use to help get the work done. That's right. I mean, if you're handy with Google Sheets, you wouldn't even need Monday. You could potentially build a similar function in Google Sheets to what Monday does. Monday is just a I guess, a fancier version of it, and it's got a few more bells and whistles. But if you've got no budget, but you've got something existing, which most, I imagine all companies would, right? There's a lot that you can do as a starting point. Reporting. As part of this process, legal's got to create some reports and report up the chain. What kind of reports are you doing and how are you creating them? Yeah, so the big one that we've been looking at at the moment is actually taking the reporting that automatically generates out of Ironclad and using that to assist not only legal um, and resource planning, but also sales. So um, one of the, I guess, key metrics that we can actually pull out now is how long was the contract in each stage for during the process? So we can see, okay, it took one day to generate and get all of the information. It sat with the client for four days on average. They signed after the fifth day on average and then, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that's been key for us to look at Why do certain things take the time that they do? Is there anything that we can do there to improve it? And it also breaks down the metrics by the user as well. So we can see, okay, is this particular user having problems with this particular workflow? Um, Let's go speak to that person and see what the issue is. Is there anything we can do to assist there? And then more broadly speaking, we've been looking at refining the metrics that we're using to measure not only the legal department, but the entire company to really remove a lot of the noise and start to think about what metrics are actually valuable to us. What are our key metrics that we want to measure that are going to make real impact in terms of achieving on-course strategic goals? And that's a work in progress, but we're, we're dedicating time to that at the moment. So underlying all this, everything you've talked about today is 
building relationships with others within your organization. What do you do? What have you found helpful to help build these relationships and kind of dispel the myths around lawyers that they're, you know, they're risk averse and they're there to slow things down and kind of, you know, maybe foil deals. What what have you found helpful (laughs) and what have you found success with? There's probably a few things. The first is just speak to people, not even about work, just speak to people generally in the office or virtually now if you're working in a hybrid setup. Second is, and this is the approach that I took from the beginning, don't say no to someone because it's not something that falls within legal. That was very much the approach that I took from the beginning. And it can be counterintuitive because then you have people calling and emailing you about things that maybe don't sit within the remit of legal. What's an example of that? Something that's quote unquote not legal per se. So essentially I just, I came into the organization and I tried to help wherever I could. So it might've been that the operational teams were really under the pump in relation to their onboarding processes. So I spoke to them and said, well, how about we collect X, Y, and Z, these these details that aren't needed for the contract, but you need them immediately after the contract. How about we put that into the process and we collect that? So we solve that solution. And it's not really about that particular example or that solution. It's more about building that rapport of we're both colleagues in this and I'm going to help you out wherever I can because we're colleagues. Um, And from there, that kind of builds out that relationship where I know almost everyone at Encore and I've had, you know, one-on-one conversations with almost everyone at Encore to the point where we've got, you know, friendships and that kind of thing. And that that's really helped in terms of building out those relationships. I don't have a bad relationship with anyone in sales, which I think you hear lawyers a lot of the time right. talking about their struggles with sales because I've had multiple conversations with all of our sales teams in person about non on-core specific things, just generally getting to that, know them as people. And when they do come to me with an issue, I can help them and I can solve it and I don't approach it from a, no, um, this is a, you know, from a legal position, let, let's not go there, we don't want this risk. It's always been a, okay, let's sit down, let's assess, let's get the data, let's look at whether or not we can do this and then we'll make a decision. And maybe that's not always um, a decision with an outcome that they want, but at least we've shown that we're not just going to be an arbitrary no department. We're going to work with them and see if we can find a way to get to the outcome that they want. And I think that what I found over three years is if you do show that each time you're willing to sit down and try and work with them, even when the outcome is no, that they respect that because you've respected them and tried to help them in their role. What's your favorite part of being in-house counsel? But is there anything you miss from being outside counsel in private practice? Favorite part of being in-house counsel is definitely working with the various range of people and across a number of issues, legal and non-legal. And the one thing that I do miss from private practice is being, I guess, a subject matter expert and really getting into the detail around one particular area of law. Right, because you got to be more generalist. You got to know a lot. <laughs> you got to know, you gotta a know lot. at least a little bit about a lot of stuff. A right? little about a lot, yeah. Rather than you know knowing a lot about just a li- few things, ooh, right? Ooh. Yeah, exactly. Crystal, thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. If people want to get in touch with you or learn more about Encore or find you, where do you want them to go? Just head to my LinkedIn.
Okay, that's a wrap for today's episode. As always, we really appreciate you listening. If you want to subscribe, you can find us on most major podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, etc. Also, if you like us enough, I hope you leave us a favorable review. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, this has been Technically Legal.